Welcome to the Finding Refuge podcast. My name is Michelle Cassandra Johnson, and I am glad you're here. The Finding Refuge podcast emerged from a desire to have conversations about the intersection of grief and liberation. This podcast explores how we can find refuge during unsettling and uncertain times. It features guests from various backgrounds, lineages, and lived experiences. I hope you enjoy listening. Today's interview is with Carrie Kelly. Some of you probably know Carrie Kelly if you follow my work. It's likely you know who she is. We are friends and comrades, and we work together on many projects through race and resilience. And I'm excited to tell you a little bit more about Carrie and for you to listen to the interview. Carrie is the founder of Citizen Well, a movement that is democratizing well being for all. She's a descendant of generations of firemen and first responders and has dedicated her life to kicking down doors and fighting for justice. Carrie's been teaching yoga for over 20 years and is known for making waves in the wellness industry by challenging norms, disrupting systems, and mobilizing people to act. Carrie is a community organizer, wellness activist, and the author of American Detox, The Myth of Wellness and How We Can Truly Heal. Carrie is recognized across communities for her inspired work to bridge transformational practice with social justice. She's been instrumental in translating the practices of well-being into social and political action, working in collaboration with community organizers, spiritual leaders, and policymakers to transform our systems from the inside out. Her leadership has inspired a movement that is actively organizing around issues of racial and economic justice, healthcare as a human right, civic engagement, and more. I hope you enjoy listening to this episode, learning more about Carrie and American Detox. And if you want to see what we're up to, you can go to raceandresilience.com. Hi, Carrie Kelly. Hello, Michelle Cassandra Johnson. It's so good to see you and to be in space with you in this way. We're in space together a lot. And today I get to ask questions and we get to be in conversation in a different way than some of some of our work, even though I know what will come up relates to the work we do in the world. I love it. I love this too. I think it's intimate and, and I love, let's go off script. Which we do and will. <laughs> it's and sort of the story of our lives. Yeah, it's true. I remember meeting you at that which many people probably know about who are listening at the session training immersion felt like an immersion in Durham, North Carolina, right before I moved to Portland, Oregon. Of course, we knew about each other before then and had heard about each other of each other. And, but that was the first time we were in physical space. And I remember meeting you and, and feeling like, oh, there, there's something here, right? There's, there was resonance and a connection and we've been able to nurture that connection um, and, and build that resonance over many years now, which is, is such a gift. And so I'm grateful that you're here and grateful we, we got to meet during that tumultuous 
immersion. I know. It's like a when birth you're, canal. It was like a birth canal. It really was. And it actually, so many things came from that experience. Yeah. Actually. And so many relationships. I mean, when you think about a lot of the people who are in our world and in our community and our network really came through that moment anyway. So I love everything about that being sort of a catalyst for so much more. Mm -hmm. Me too. And it, and it led us to begin to collaborate and work together and be in conversation about our values and beliefs and what we wanted to create in the world. And for those of you listening who may not be familiar, we work together through race and resilience, offering a lot of different transformative um, processes focused on racial equity and anti-oppression work. So there's more, but I'll put a link in the show notes to that. But I would love for you, Carrie, to share some, in case there's anybody here who doesn't know who you are, I would love for you to share <laughs> some about who you are and what you're up to in the world. Oh my gosh, this feels like such an existential question, especially post book when you're like, what am I supposed to do with myself right now? I'll answer with a question. I feel like the question that I've been asking for the last, I don't know, 20 plus years is not so much who I am, but like, what is my role in the world? What is my, I mean, you could say the world purpose, but I actually think that too has been co-opted by like self-help culture. But what I mean when I say purpose is like, what is my right responsibility and contribution to the whole world that I'm a part of? And and that was a question that started for me on 9-11 when my step, you know, I lost my stepdad on 9-11. Most people know that part of my story. And that was the, the thing that sort of put me on this path of, of seeking, of seeking truth, of seeking healing, um, of seeking meaning and community. But I think it also put me on a path of integrity. Like it really put me to task, right? It like called me. Your friend Stephanie Ghost and Paul, I remember when we did this workshop with you and her for Citizen Summit, she asked this question, what is my assignment? And it like that question like stuck to me like glue. And, and that sort of I'm answering it because that's the question I'm living into every day. And it changes, right? And it's it's relative, right? Based on who I'm with and, and the work that I'm doing, right? Especially as like a white-bodied cis, you know, person with so much privilege in this world, you know, it's not a simple question to answer, right? But it's a question I need to be asking all the time because it really does matter, right? Who and where I come from and what that means about my right role and responsibility in this work. And for whatever reason, like you, I have been called to justice and to equity and to building a world that is better than the one that we inherited. And that is a world for like future generations, right? A world of greater thriving and well-being for all people, right? Including you, including me, including, and especially for the people who are, are systemically marginalized by a lot of our systems, especially our systems of care, our culture of care and wellness that you and I are a part of. And so anyway, so that's sort of like how I'll answer that question is I've been sort of, I've been walking that path for a really long time and it's not, I'm 47 years old now. So it's like not a simple question to answer anymore because I've lived through many seasons of my life and also many lessons, right? And mistakes and learnings. And, and I feel like, you know, even now I'm, I'm still a baby, <laughs> you know, taking baby steps towards 
becoming a better human in the world, a better collaborator, a better partner, a better activist in the world, because uh, we need it. And we need all of us playing our right role and responsibility in this work. And so that's sort of like how I'm living into it right now, especially in this moment of like, it feels like rebirth for me in ways that I don't quite understand yet. I'm just like coming back to that question in my practice every day. What is my assignment? What is my assignment? What am I here to do? How can I be of service? I'm glad you reminded me uh, and us of the question, Stephanie's question about what is your assignment, right? What is your work? What are you here to do? And also that's connected to in service of what? And I heard you bring that forth in your answer and also that we we evolve, right? And so you ask yourself this question about your assignment every every day, right? And sometimes probably minute to minute based on the context and what's being called for and how you understand yourself. And this is making me wonder about your, you have a a book, American Detox, congratulations, which came out in June. Thank you. And um, thank you many book author, Michelle Cassandra Johnson. (laughs) People should know that like, for as long as it took me to write American Detox, Michelle wrote like four books. And I was like, can you just slow down, please? I can't even get through this one book, this one birth. But no comparison. You got through it. It's it's here. It's on my bookshelf. It's on your bookshelf behind you. It is, we can hold it and, and work with it. And I know many it's people real. are, it's real, it's here. And I would love for you to, to share some about your assignment and American Detox. Like- this can be what what led you to birth this um, body of work that is called American Detox. I mean, you mentioned some of your story, but I'm curious to to hear more about where this originated, right? How this came into being. I mean, a lot of the questions I think I'm asking in this book, I, I started asking when I launched Citizen Well. And Citizen Well kind of came to be because we saw this like emergent potential. I would even call it like latent potential of this massive wellness industry, which at the time I think was like 80 million people in the United States was in some way engaged in health and wellness or enthusiastic about health and wellness. And simultaneously we were seeing the tea party, right. And the, the, the right, the conservative, right, really building power and advancing. And so like we had, this theory and this question, like, what if we were to organize the 80 million people, right? I think 80 million at the time was the size of the NRA. What if we were to organize the 80 million people in wellness to be a political force that could like, that could like match, you know, the force of the NRA or the force of the right that was centered in values, right? That, that kind of stem from our practices, values of, of compassion and generosity and equity, um, and so like we started to organize around that idea for a number of years. And then 2016 happened and 54% of white women voted for Trump. Some of whom, many of whom were in the wellness community, right? And we know that we know that now having seen sort of what happened during COVID, right? When so many white wellness women and men uh, were so quick to devolve into conspiracy theory, right? And anti-vax sentiment and, and self-preservation above collective care. And so that really shook me because whereas I thought there was all of this like potential and possibility, I realized that there were more obstacles 
<laughs> that needed to be confronted and deconstructed and, um, you know, and dealt with, right, um, um, and healed. And so that sort of got me asking, like, what is in the way, right? What is, um, what is, in, what is in the way of our individual and our collective wellness? And what is the thing, in fact, that we really do need to detox? And I was, I was kind of playing off of the the trend and the culture of like everyone being obsessed with like, you know, green juice and yoga fads and goat yoga and all this other bullshit, which actually looks nothing like the, the Eastern wisdom, right? The indigenous wisdom, right? That many of these practices come from. Um, and yet people are really hooked, right? By the invitation or the promise to escape or to purify themselves or to transcend, right? Whatever discomfort or reality they were experiencing or witnessing. And the question I sort of explored for myself in this book was like, what is actually the real detox here? What is the real, what is the, what is the real like internalized toxin that we both inherited and that we continue to breathe, right? We continue to um, participate in and be impacted by. That is the very thing that we need to confront um, if in fact we want to be well, right? If in fact we want to move into you know liberation for ourselves and for each other, and so that was sort of the question that I started to like chip away at when I was writing this book, and and obviously like I had an idea of what some of those things were, given what we were seeing play out, and and so much of what was emerging, not just from Trump, but from many, many, many hundreds of years before that, right? None of that stuff was new; it was just lurking in the shadows and, um, or blatantly right out front, quite frankly. And so, so things like, um, you know, the myth of separation, right. That, um, is responsible for the way in which we are so quick to degrade the earth and to how many of our ancestors, mine included, right. Assumed the right to take another person's land, um, and colonize other people and their cultures and how that continues to happen, right? Um, the myth of supremacy that you and I have explored so much together that assumes that some lives are more valuable than, than others, right? That have given rise to um, a legacy of slavery and Jim Crow and mass incarceration. A myth of scarcity, right? That's like deeply rooted in capitalism, right? And this idea of profits over people that keeps us all in this like, never-ending, relentless striving, right, for, for more, right, and in constant competition with one another, and in this, you know, zero-sum paradigm that assumes that for, for people to win, other people have to lose, right? All of these, like, super toxic myths that aren't just, like, out there playing out in the systems and in the dominant culture, but that in many ways we've internalized, in many ways I've internalized. So I wrote this book from my own lived experience of having been duped and hooked by a lot of these myths and, and the process of kind of waking up to that and becoming aware of how those myths are alive in me, how they're governing my words and my actions, how they're impacting my relationships and my work in the world and what it's going to take, right, for us to like unhook ourselves, unravel and actually move towards um, individual and collective healing. So, so that was a lot of what both called me to this book and also just keeps calling me because, you know, I didn't write this book and was like recovered, as you know, that's actually not how this work goes. It's, it's a constant discipline, I think, detox. It's a constant inquiry 
and um, willingness to be accountable for like, how am I replicating the very thing that I'm at war with? And what is it going to look like for me to, um, you know, to get free of that? What does it look like for all of us to get free of that? Thank you for sharing what seeded this idea and the seed and planting it and uh, nurturing it and growing it and it coming out in the form of, of American detox, which again is a body of work, a book and body of work. And it sounds like it in so many ways came from your own experience and the questions that surfaced for you related to what true healing looks like and the possibility I would say of healing, collective healing. And this question of what do we need to detox from? Like, what does that actually really look like? Not the surface things that might make us feel better temporarily, but only a few of us, right? But the deep, I think, work that is not easy to do. And the excavation you're talking about is the kind of detox that is offered throughout American detox. And the reality that we are internalizing, as you said, all of these different messages about who we are and who others are. And who's worthy and who's not and who's deserving and who's not and what wellness looks like. Um, so it feels like this broad hope and vision for, for our collective healing, but we can't get there unless we actually do the work that you are doing and that you offer to people through your work and through American detox. And I'm curious to know about your writing process. And the reason I'm asking this is that one, I want to know, but two, when I wrote, for example, Finding Refuge, I had to go through all of these stories of grief to write about it. And I imagine what you've written in American Detox was working through you and on you as you were writing it and figuring out how to articulate it and share it in the world in a way that that people could connect with and, and understand and be stirred up by all of that. So um, the question is really coming from that, the in, the process you had in your life and sort of the internal process you went through as you were writing something that is is in physical form in the world for us to work with and be with. I mean, and you and I explore this all the time, you know, well, what I'll share is that like my idea of this book, when I decided I was going to write it, when I was like, okay, I'm going to write this book and here's my thesis and was to like write a dissertation. I wanted to write like a research paper and make it sound really smart. And, and I wanted to like reference millions of people you know, because there's just so much I mean I'm not the first person to write about this right there's many many decades of people raging against the machine and and creating alternatives right to the systems of care that we've inherited especially people right on the margins and my editor who's Alex Capitan an amazing amazing writer and human and facilitator and like I don't know what to call him but like a word you know, enthusiast, a language enthusiast, you know, um, he, he's known as radical copy editor for those of you that don't know Alex, but he really pushed me and Linda Sparrow also to write from my own lived experience. And, you know, I was really uncomfortable about that because I was well aware of my social location as like a white, cis, straight, non-disabled person. And I was like, nobody needs another white lady to center their story in a story about long. I was just like, no, I'm not going to do that. And they really pushed back on me and they were like, this is the only story, in fact, that you can tell. You don't actually get to tell anyone else's story. 
And you don't get to actually talk about this without locating yourself, you know, which I knew in theory, but, but having to center myself in this story was that came later because I was really, really, really resistant. I was like, no, 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 I'm not going to do that. So that was, I had a lot of resistance to that. And, and the way that I, I kind of came to it was that I was like, if I'm going to write from my own lived experience as someone from like a dominant social group. I'm going to write about, I'm going to expose the way in which I have fucked up and gotten it wrong. Like I'm going to expose the mess. I'm going to expose the humiliation. I'm going to expose, right? Like the mistake making because, right? Because like, there's not like a story, like I'm not a hero in this story. <laughs> and and that was also like not the, the way in which I wanted to talk about the reimagining of wellness and well-being. And so anyway, so, so much of my process to, to answer your question was having to like really grapple with and dig up some like old versions of myself and figure out how to tell the story and how to expose right the the the, the muck of my my you know becoming awake right my coming to realize you know how I've gotten it all wrong my mistake making the ways in which I've caused harm the ways in which I've been a part of the problem the ways in which I've been implicated like I just had to do that over and over and over again and you know I looked at each myth and I was like how have I participated in that how have I been shaped by that right how has that duped me you know what are the ways in which that's still alive in me and so that's sort of how I came at, to your point, like harvesting my own story in this book. And I also wanted to model, you know, like this book is not for everyone. It's probably for people like me, white people or people who tend to be more privileged and in their own sort of grappling and inquiry. And it felt really important also to model that this, this journey has not been simple. And it has not been neat and tidy. It's been very messy. It's been slow. It's been starts and stops. I've gone as much as I've kind of gone forward in like consciousness and accountability, I've gone backwards, you know, simultaneously. And so it felt really important to show people that that's actually the process of transformation and that you too can do that and survive, right? And I'm just thinking about the tendency, especially of white folks to avoid discomfort and to avoid accountability, right? And to avoid actually naming the ways in which they're implicated. And I really wanted to normalize that practice as a part of actually how we heal, like heal ourselves, but also heal and repair our relationships and learn and live into this sort of culture of accountability that I think we're still all trying to figure out, you know, what that looks like. Mm -hmm. Thank you for, for sharing that journey, right? Part of your journey and also uplifting the teaching she received, I would say about like, you have to tell your, the only way you can do this is to locate yourself in it and share from that perspective and also be clear that, and you are, and you just named it, that your story is different than others and the power of locating oneself and, and how that feels connected to living into one's assignment as well to bring it back to that. Because then there's integrity, I think, in how we fulfill our assignment if we're if we're clear about where we're located and and what we're creating and who that's for. And I'm and I'm also can I add something to that? Yeah. Go ahead. I was just thinking to add to what you're saying, I was just thinking about how I was clear that my my story, especially in the context of dominant wellness, was always the story 
was always the dominant story, right? The dominant narrative, right? Like whenever you read about wellness Mm -hmm. or, or look at pictures of wellness, it looks like people like me. It runs parallel to the story of my stepdad, which I tell in this book too, right? Who was a a first responder on 9-11, whose story is this, according to dominant media, is the story of the hero, right? Is the story that's centered every 9-11 for the last 21 years, right? Um, Which ignores the story of the millions of people, right? Who have been targeted, harassed and killed in the aftermath of 9-11. And so I just, I just wanted to name that because that was, I think that I was like really uncomfortable with that, which was also why I was trying to like almost displace myself in the book. Like I was just like, I'm just not going to be in the book. I'm going to write a paper about this subject and remove myself. And that was another teaching like of, of like my accountability team and my editors. Then they were like, yeah, you don't want to like center your story as the dominant story, but you are a part. You are a part of the problem and you are a part of the conversation and you need to take responsibility for that and not duck it. And I just say that because I think that also is a tendency for white folks or folks of dominant that like, it's like, oh, I can't center myself. So therefore I'm going to remove myself mm-hmm. <laughs> completely, right? Which is also not helpful. So I just, it was, it was just a messy dance for me. And I'll just share my last, my favorite chapter is chapter eight, which is called Reimagining Wellness, where I'm like, oh, this is actually where I can like take my rightful place. And instead of having like one more white person, right, decide what the future of wellness is for other people, I'm going to actually ask people, I'm going to ask people who are on the front lines of, you know, collective wellness or who are on the front lines of organizing and movement work. And I'm going to let them decide for us and paint a picture of what it could be. And that was a really exciting and fun project to actually like get out of the way, right? But also like locate myself in that vision and in that future. Yeah, I appreciate you add, adding that and what you shared about your stepfather and and the hero and how that the, the narrative that has been created about who a hero is, right? And how that connects with how you chose to write this book and how you wanted to situate yourself and how you could share your, your story and not replicate that pattern of like, who is a hero and who is not. Right. And I was thinking about the resistance that you named, and I'm curious to know what, what helped you move through that? Like what practices, because people told you, you actually need to write this story in this way. And you, and you did, right. They're like, you can't do it this way. But I'm, I imagine that just wasn't easy to get to the point of hearing that feedback and then writing it. And you named resistance. And I'm wondering what daily practices you had then or healing practices you were seeking out or questions you were asking yourself. But like what helped you move through that resistance to to end up telling the story? Because the other thing that could have happened is you could have said, I'm not going to write this. And I imagine at times you probably thought you weren't going to. I don't, I don't know that to be true. But I do know that doubt is often connected to people birthing things that are public <laughs> the world like that's part of the process so i'm curious to know like what in addition to the feedback you received from alex and linda and perhaps others what really helped you move through that resistance i mean one of the things i learned uh, i'm not a writer right this was like the first book that i've written and i've written a ton of things but i've never like i, I didn't know i don't have the skill of writing a book i don't know that people do until they do it but So I learned a lot about what I was good at and what I sucked at, 
really quickly in this process. And I wrote over the course of I don't know, two years, right? Maybe three in all. And one of the things I learned very quickly was that I'm really fast and I'm, and I'm a fast processor. So often I'm very quick to process a learning or like understanding or making meaning of an event so much so that I lose the texture of the event. And I only know it might, one of my writing coaches told me it's about like going from like peak to peak. Like I have all the like peak to peak, like, and here's what I learned. You know what I mean? This happened and here's what I learned and here's the conclusion and here's the takeaway. Right. But like all the other details sort of like fell through the cracks for me because I've just been really quick to kind of move through a lot of that processing. And I think I've lost some of the, the texture, right. And the detail. And so I had to slow down. I had to slow down and I had to sit a lot and like, and I had to sit with like nothing coming out of my body or my mind many, many times over, but I had to make a lot of space to excavate those memories. And, and by memories, I mean, like I was really trying to find ways to articulate the discomfort, right? The desperation to escape my disc. I was trying to like find words around that. And I was trying to also effectively articulate the like embodied sensation of wanting to escape or shut down or run in the other direction or fight and resist. Anyway, so like the only way I was able to like excavate and pull up those memories and, and that sort of detail and texture was to like really slow my role. And it was just like, and you know me very well, like I like to be busy, I like to be active, I'm a, a Leo and a mover. And it was a lot of excruciating slowness and stillness that I think allowed me to return to some of those moments in my life and remember what it felt like, as opposed to like processing it so quickly that I can, you know, and which is probably a defense mechanism also like, ah, that sucked. So I'm going to process it really quickly. And now I know what I learned and now I can forget the uncomfortable, you know, and humiliating experience of that. And so anyway, so that was like a big part of my process, very messy and uncomfortable for me. And the, the other thing I'll just add is that, you know, perfectionism just destroyed me in writing this book. I mean, it was just like, well, if you haven't written a book, what people don't know is like, you have like 100,000 edits that you have to do. And which means that you get to like fix things infinitely until you don't anymore. And so I was just a relentless editor. I was just like fixing and refining and smoothing over and adjusting. And poor Alex was like, stop it. You know, like stop tweaking every little thing. And, and I had to like really face myself in that. You know, I was like wrote a book, an entire chapter on perfection is synonymous. And, and here I was right. Like operating from that place most of the time, you know, most of, and then, and then at the, you know, in the final hours, when you finally have to hand it in, what you're handing in is an absolutely imperfect version of what you wanted to hand in. So you have, so you have to like finally grapple with the, like, this is never going to be perfect because perfect isn't real. And so like, can it be the best it can be? And can you let it go and know that you can't touch it anymore? And that was like a process for me for real. Yeah, I hear that. And how challenging that felt, right? To have this point where you had to release it and let go of the tendency to want to edit and re-edit and really edit your 
yourself, right? And there's deep conditioning around totally. perfectionism and just being able to witness that in, in yourself and the pace, what you named about moving fast and that this process of writing and creating American Detox really required you to slow down enough to sit with and digest and then figure out how to articulate in a transformative way, right? The lesson from the experience or the memory or the story. And I am curious to know how, because now American Detox is is out in the world and I'm curious to know how slowing down, if it has, is still present in your life, like that learning and lesson, oh, I have to approach this differently, right? I synthesize very quickly, which I think is true of you, what you described about, I've, I've witnessed you do this so many times, right, in spaces. And so, and and then it's the sort of the next step and here's what we do and, or what does the group want to do, right? I've witnessed that. And and I'm curious to know if if this practice of slowing down is still present for you. I think the teaching, it's funny, you're asking this at like a perfect time. I feel like the teaching of this book, you know, four months now, like to the day is more like a forced, let's say this because it's like, I would not choose this, a forced practice of surrender because I, because now that this book is out in the world and I don't have children, so I don't know how alike this is to giving birth. But holy shit, like, you know, it's like, su- it is what I imagine to be like, the closest thing I will ever experience to birth, because you gestate on this thing forever, you're growing this thing, you have no idea what's going to come out, like, and how it's going to come into form. And then you put it out in the world. And this is the point I'm getting to you. And it is completely out of your control. Right. And I think every idea I had about what was going to happen with this book, I had to let go of because now this book gets to take on its own form and do what it's meant to do in the world. And it's funny, I, I reached out to a friend of mine when this was happening. And I said, you know, will, will you pray with me um, around this book? And she said, No, she said, I'll pray for you. She said, but this book is going to do what this book is going to do. I have no control over that right? This book is now out in the world and it is like on its own journey. And I was like, oh shit. you know. <laughs> and so, you know, all the ideas I had of like, this book is going to do this and it's going to look like this. And right. I have like completely, you know, been moved because this book has taken on a life of its own. And so I feel like the lesson I'm getting now, even more than it's, and it's related to slowing down because I can't advance this book. There's not a like, hustle I can do around this book that's going to do anything quite frankly this book is like is like you know a stubborn child it's like yeah no I'm gonna do my thing (laughs) you know I'm gonna you know and you can't tell me what to do and that's how I feel like my relationship with this book is now which I think is perfect right it's like a perfect teaching for me um and you know it is true that like this book is now in, you know, many thousands of hands and it's going to do what it's meant to do. And I actually can't control that. Right. I can't steer it. Um, I don't get to, you know, pivot it or (laughs) adapt it. I just have to let go and, um, and hope that, you know, you know, and I, and I do feel like a steward of this conversation. So I feel responsibility. I feel accountability, you know, so I'm like, it's not like I've like released this book into the world and, you know, abandoned my child. But I, but I'm getting a real lesson in like, you don't get to be in control of this. 
next part. And so that's just been like the most awesome and difficult feature for me because it's leaving me with all sorts of questions now, <laughs> you know, about like, well, now what, you know, and I'm having to just like sit back, right. Lean back and just like bear witness, right. To where this book is going to what's emerging from the conversation and to how I might be called from that. Yeah. I love that. And had someone before skill in action, the first edition came out this healer astrologer in Portland where I was living at the time said, let it. And it was on my birthday. It was August 21st of 2017 when I went to her for a reading and the book wasn't out yet, but I knew it was coming out and she just said, let it do what it's going to do. And I was like, Oh, what a gift. And, and for me, I was like, okay, it's going to, I think I was just like, it's going to do what it's going to do done. Right. Like I'm not, I, I wasn't, and I hear and have felt at times because of how people engage with our content, right. Have felt like, Oh, it's doing what it's doing, or people are doing things with it, or I can't control that. So that certainly resonated with me, but I hear that of like, we, the process and the lesson and the teaching and like having to let's, when you birth something, allowing it to, to be its own thing and being and energy and instead of trying to control the impact of it or the outcome of it or how it moves. Um, and, and we, we can't do that. Um, or it's difficult. We'll make our lives difficult when we try to do that. And I'm also reflecting on how amazing at times I think social media is like the devil, but sometimes I think it's pretty amazing how actually at this point in time, often what the book is doing can be reflected back to us in some ways. It's like, through a story, somebody posts or like somebody, people send me pictures of finding refuge at a conference, like randomly. And I'm kind of like, oh, it's there. Oh, that's so cool. It's sitting on a table somewhere with people I don't know. Or an old client found it in Asheville recently and was like, oh my gosh, I didn't know you wrote this and sent me a text. So I do think there's, it's, it's a gift. It has been for me when I can receive that and be like, oh, it's, it's, it's out there. It's in California in this way. It's, it's in Germany and it's doing this, right? That we actually do. See. So cool. It's pretty, that so, is, that feels like a gift. It's wild. I, I had my friend Melody, who, you know, called me like eight times in a row this one day I was driving. So I wasn't answering it. And then I was like, oh shit, something is wrong. So I call her right back and she's on FaceTime and I'm like, are you okay? And she's like, oh my God, you have to see this. And she FaceTimes this poor girl in line at an airport reading my book, <laughs> you know? And I'm like, did you ask her consent? You know, <laughs> she's like, she's the author. And it was this awesome moment. And so there, I've had a couple of those, right? Where it's like people, I don't, you know, like you're in like a world, even in social media where you're like, mostly you're hearing people, you know, there's like a bubble. And this, now I'm like seeing, I'm like, I don't know who that person is and how they got this book on any level. Right. And so now that is like, I mean, that's just like mind bending to me. And so that, and that's too, is a part of like, oh, wow, I'm really not in control here. Um, this is like, this is like beyond like anything I know. And so I just need to like, let that shit go. <laughs> yeah. I love that though. When it, when it happens that way, I was in a, was sweet. a yeah, I was in a coffee shop in Asheville and someone was there and I sat down, I was at a festival and I sat down and she was reading, finding refuge. I didn't know the person I was like, 
oh my gosh, she's reading. I'm like in the tea house. She's reading my book. And then she saw me and she knew who I was. Um, but she was sort of like, oh my gosh, you're, you're here in physical form. And we're sitting across from each other at this tea house. And it was a really sweet moment. So it's like, what? Yeah. Like you're reading this thing that moved through me. Right. I think it is beautiful that way, even though we don't. So beautiful. That is yeah. so beautiful. I love that so much. I love it also because it's like relational, you know, so like social media is cool, but like those moments where you're like, is it's like, you know, yeah, it's wild, you know? Right. It is. It is. Um, and brings a lot of joy when that happens. So I'm curious to know how you, because we talked about excavation and muck and like resistance and moving through that. And I'm curious to know how you are, you can answer the, I asked this question about how you're finding refuge at this time, given all we're detoxing and up against and all that's happening and the like political context context and the attacks on groups of people and what's in the way of our collective well-being. Like, how are you caring for yourself or how are you finding refuge at this time? I think like two things are happening for me you and I are having a different lived experience of, of this, right. Of this reality. And so my stance for many years, as you know, has been like to fight, like to like, you know, to, to be an activist, to rage, to, you know, and one of the things I'm, I'm noticing much to my dismay is that my body is, is really pissed about that. And is, is, and it and is like, we can't be on like go 24 seven, you know, like, cause that's how it's felt, you know, for the last decade it's 24 seven of like reacting to every fucked up thing the world is throwing at us. And so I'm, I'm like learning this really hard lesson right now where like my, like my impulse and my heart and my mind want to like run into the fire and rage and fight. And my body is like, you have to like, stop doing that. (laughs) And you need to like, you need to find ways to like, um, recover yourself and rest. And, and so I just share that because I'm learning that the hard way that like, in some ways, I don't know that I'm choosing it as much as my body is saying, like, you really need to slow down. Like you cannot keep going at this pace. And so I'm really, I'm learning to listen to that. I also think that pandemic changed me. I really feel rewired from the pandemic where like whatever extrovertness I had before the pandemic has been now reorganized and altered. So like the hunger I used to have for like being out in the world and being social and being, I don't have that anymore. And so I'm getting a lot of refuge um, and and a lot of like capacity and energy from being at home and from like really mundane things like, you know, waking up and drinking coffee, you know what I'm saying? And then going for a bike ride at the end of the day, like not, and it's not like a one hour yoga, it's really just like actually let it, like giving myself permission to like drop into like really normal, you know, regular everyday, you know, fundamental moments of like human interaction. Like those are the things that are actually giving me life. And I and I and I'm finding myself now really looking forward to that. You know, really looking forward 
to those pockets in my day where I can just be me. And, and that and it's enough to just be me and to drink coffee or to have dinner with my partner or, you know what I mean? Or to go for a walk around the block. And for most of my life, that was like, that was insufficient. You know, like I wanted like drama and exciting, you know, energy, you know, and so I, I feel like, um, I feel like I'm discovering refuge, like right where I am as opposed to like going out and creating a refuge at retreat or having to like plan a particular kind of practice or ritual, like the refuge that's really nourishing me right now is like, just like, is not, it's just like not doing anything actually, like the not doing, you know, and I'm trying, and I'm really just, I think my practice is like really appreciating those moments and like making sure I'm making space in my like every day to drop in for that to like really be there all in there you know um fully present for those those particular moments because they're so so sweet Mm -hmm. I love that and I think you said it's the not doing and I actually think being present when you're having a cup of coffee is is doing, I understand the difference in like, we are meant, we are like conditioned totally. to be productive. I just think it's a reframe. And I felt some of it during my sabbatical, like, what if I've sat with the bees for two hours? What, what <laughs> have I done? I've sat with the bees for two hours and I've meditated yeah. with them and I've listened to them and I've connected more deeply to nature. Like that is doing yeah. something and in fact, changing me and us. And so I just want to offer that and, and love that as well for you around listening to what your body and spirit are saying about what you need and experiencing that sweetness you described in things that seem mundane, which I actually think they're very deep, like a meal with a friend or your partner yeah, where you get to be present and right. We're not pulled in different directions that feels special. Um, yeah. Especially in a world that distracts so many of us all of the time. So I think that is, I'm glad that you are, having that experience and allowing those moments of sweetness to emerge. Well, and it's really pushing me on boundaries, right? Because I get so easily sucked into my technology devices. Like I could be on them all day forever. And that time does not feel in any way, shape or form nourishing if it's split with a phone or with Twitter or with Instagram. And so so I'm really just trying to like learn how to have bound, like really healthy and clear boundaries, right? And also like relationships with my devices. Like when am I going to like be with my phone meaningfully? And when am I not, you know? And and that's really hard for me, you know? Like when work knocks on my door or texts me or hooks me, it's like, like I, it's very hard for me to um, to resist that hook. And so teach me a lot because I know that the minute I pick up my phone or open my computer, it's like a different state of being. It just is. Whether I like it or not, it's not the same. And so I'm trying to figure that out. I mean, I don't know that I know, but I'm really trying to figure that out. Yeah, I hear you. I want to throw my phone out the window half the time. Oh my God. I'm just not, I'm just like, this is not nourishing in this the way and and the way it does draw us in very quickly and then we're not fully present to whatever the sweet moment or whatever we were doing or engaged in it 
often pulls us away and into something else. And I think my final question, even though you you can't sort of control American Detox and the book and where it goes and who has it and um, how it moves through the world, when people often, I think, I don't have children either, although I do have a young person, Anna, in my life, often people have dreams for their children, right? They have, or the things they're birthing. And so I'm curious to know what your your dream is. And I ask this so that we can hold that with you for this book, which is different than control and attachment to outcome. It's like, what is your vision for this body of work and book? I love that. I mean, one of the things, one of the intentions I held in this book, but I also have seen this reflected back at me. I mean, this book is like, it's heavy. Like it's dense. Like it's, there's like a lot in this book. And I don't think it's like a light read, you know, which I don't think surprises anybody that knows me, by the way. Um, <laughs> um, but there's like a lot of stuff in here to grapple with and to reflect on and to um, reckon with, I would say. And so one of my intentions was that people read this book in community. And so some of that is happening, which has been really, really amazing. It's like, how can this book become an organizing tool for people to come together and have, you know, transparent and courageous conversations about what's in the way, right? Like what's holding us back from collective liberation and well-being um, and how we can get free together. So that some of that is happening. There are lots of book clubs. You know, I love book clubs, you know, in the spirit of like a book club being um, a circle or a container, right, for organizing, right, and for activation, like, that's what I love about sort of the spirit of book clubs is that they become a springboard for communities to, like, continue to work together and to be in a community of both practice and action. And so some of that is happening, and I find that to be super, super inspiring. And I did hold that intention because, you know, deep down, I'm an, I'm an organizer at heart. And I think the other thing I would say is that I really, I really I want this book to be disruptive. Like I want, I want people, I wanted to inspire people to ask really hard questions, not just of themselves, but of the spaces that they're in. I want them to ask questions about power and how power is organized. I want them to bring more skill and awareness to, uh, to the dominant culture that's shaping our experiences and determining our reality. I want them to bring passion and enthusiasm for how they're creating alternate and counter cultures to the ones that are at play right now that are that are the default, you know. Um, and so I, I'm, I'm hoping that this book, you know, shakes some trees, not just for people individually, but you know, and I, I know kind of it is because there have been some spaces where I feel like I've, I've been unwelcome. And right, like we're like, this is just too much for people and it doesn't fit into their paradigm and, you know, their kind of normative paradigm. And I have felt that I'm like, oh, okay. I, you know, <laughs> this is there. These folks are not ready for this yet. And so I'm no longer welcome here, you know? And so that's also, I think, a sign that something's happening. And so, so anyway, so um, I really want to encourage folks to like, don't read this alone. Like we don't, we don't need more, you know, isolation, <laughs> grab a partner or a circle or a triad or, you know, and, and read this in community. There's tons of questions in this book. There's lots of resources around 
you know, having a book club or a book circle or whatever you want to call it. And so I, I just really want people to discover a capacity for mutual care as we ask really hard questions, as we expose ourselves and how we're implicated and impacted in different ways. I think this can be a really good practice for us for how we walk, right? This really messy line of both sort of untangling and unraveling ourselves from what we've inherited and from what's stuck to us, but also like building and imagining a new way of being together. And so anyway, so I'm, I'm hoping it becomes practice. You know, I'm hoping um, it becomes community practice for folks in whatever way serves them. Thank you for sharing your vision and hopes for American Detox and centering community in that and for the work you do in the world and who you are and for spending time here with me today. And of course, in the show notes, I'll put contact information for people to connect with you. I know you're going to be offering some clinics and retreats and um, experiences for people to be in community and to work with American Detox. So we'll share some information about that in the show notes. And thank you for being in my life and being my friend and comrade and um, collaborator. And I'm so glad we got to be in space today. And I love you. I love you madly. I love this journey that we're both on. I love your books. And I'm also really excited to see how our babies play in the sandbox in the future. That's always like one of my favorite things to talk about is, you know, like how can our babies play together? You know, Mm -hmm. Um, which people who are just tuning in right now will get very confused and think we just both had babies. And they're going to play together. So they're not. we're talking about our book babies. But yes. yeah, I, but that, you know, that also feels really exciting to me because there's so many people, as you know, in our network who are birthing mm-hmm. and, and really like living into their purpose and an offering to the movement and to this work. And it's really exciting to see how those pieces of work and pieces of art are weaving and building a bigger tapestry. And so that's just plain awesome. It is. I love it. I can't wait. So thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, Michelle. So grateful for this. Me too. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Finding Refuge. If you are enjoying the podcast, I encourage you to share it with friends and family members and to rate it on iTunes. In addition to sharing about this podcast, you can support my work in the world by becoming a patron on Patreon. You can find me there as Michelle C. Johnson, Skill in Action, Yoga and Social Justice. I offer monthly movement and meditation practices, as well as a monthly divination reading. Lastly, I want to share that I have a new book coming out in April of 2023. We Heal Together, Rituals and Practices for Building Community and Connection. It is currently available for pre-order and you can go to the Penguin Random House website, search Michelle Johnson or We Heal Together and pre-order my book. There are several spaces you can pre-order it from. Thank you so much and take care.